0: This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host Brent Billings. Today we consider the idea that John has been deliberately drawing off of apocalyptic prophets while speaking directly into culture, and we add one more layer to our hermeneutical toolbox as it relates to the Book of Revelation. All
1: right, so we're going to take an in-depth look. We're going to try to apply this whole thing. Like we just dipped our toe into the whole package this last episode. Now we're gonna we're gonna try to do this whole thing. So we're gonna take an in-depth look at the letter of Thyatira, letter to Thyatira in order to fully understand the principles that we just introduced in the last episode. In this first part, we'll be studying the culture. We want to look at culture, cultural context of Thyatira, to understand the cultural relevance of the letter itself. Then in part two, we're going to look at where John is getting his material and the brilliant way he is using Old Testament text to preach a sermon within the letter to Thyatira. So first... Let's spend time in the first part of this thought process. We need a background on Thyatira itself. All right, so by far the smallest of the seven church cities, Thyatira was estimated to be around twenty-five to 30,000 people. The city sat on the main road and was founded by Seleucus I, around 300 BC, or it could have been Humanities, the first, around 250 BC, depending on which historian you're talking to. But it was founded as a military outpost. Very much unlike places such as Smyrna, Thyatira was very blue collar. So we said Smyrna, what well, was like one of the things we talked about with Smyrna, Brent? They, they like to distinguish their class with the use of uh, crowns. Crowns, right? So we talked about crowns in Smyrna, and it kind of come if you really kind of pictured it and thought about it, it was kind of highfalutin, you know, really sophisticated, educated, white robes, silver and gold, crowns on your head. This is not Thyatira. Thyatira blue-collar, unsophisticated in its demographic. Thyatira was a hard-working city full of labor guilds. In fact, we found a list of the registered guilds. We, we haven't found much, uh,
0: Thyatira. Tell me about your experience at Thyatira, Brent. It's like one square city block. There's <laughs> yeah, there's not much to it at this yeah. point. It's, and, and it's right very, in the middle of a modern city.
1: Absolutely, a huge modern city, and, and to say city block is even pretty generous. It is a small little quarter of a section. But yeah, so we haven't found a ton archaeologically, but we have found little bits. We found a lot on coins and money, currency, often one of the places you'll learn the most. And we did find uh, their guild registry in Thyatira. It's one of the longest registries we've ever uncovered. Now consider that. One of the largest guild registries. And we've talked about guild a few times now, Brent, so I don't think we have to keep going back and... Reviewing that, but that cross between a labor union and a college fraternity, the brotherhood of the fraternity, the commitment of a labor union together, um, the security of that, that was your guild. Now, consider the smallest of the seven cities and one of the largest guild registries we've ever found. That means you have a lot of working class
0: people, a lot of laboring class. We're talking about number of industries that they represent, or is it the list of actual members?
1: No, the list of the different... Uh,
0: different guilds themselves. So basically, if you need something done, you go to Thyatira, it's, and they yeah. can take care of you. Yeah,
1: think Pittsburgh. Think, you know, industrial, and maybe that was Pittsburgh ages ago, but think a city that's just built around industry, manufacturing. That's that's Thyatira. Uh, The guilds in the city included, here's your list, Brent, leather workers, wool workers, weavers, bakers, tailors, dyers, candlemakers, cobblers, potters, bronze smiths, blacksmiths, slave merchants, dyers of purple cloth, and stone cutters, just to name a few. For a city the size of Thyatira, that list is long, and the jobs are for hard workers. One of the leading guilds of Thyatira was an extensive network of bronze smiths. They specialize in a very famous kind of bronze that we know in the English as burnished bronze. In a world that didn't have the glass technology of today, burnished bronze was the material used to produce the closest thing to mirrors that they had. The Greek word for the special bronze was called kalabanos. Called colabanos. What little we know about Thyatira comes mostly from coins and currency circulated through the area. The one thing that we do know about the worship of Thyatira was that their chief god was Tyrimnos. You, you ever heard of Tyrimnos before our study, Brent? Is that a Greek god you ever had bumped into? No. No. I haven't made a Marvel movie related to Tyrimnos at all. Tyrimnos, well, go figure. Some some Marvel lore character is going to come out of nowhere and email me and let me know that he's in some random movie reference somewhere. Tyrimnos was the son of Zeus. Scholars have always found this to be quite perplexing, as Tyrimnos is certainly not a major player in the Greco-Roman Olympiad of Gods. Why choose such an obscure god to worship? Some have suggested it's because such a blue-collar city would have wanted to root for the underdog. Others have pointed to an obscure reference uh, to the honor of a very young son of Domitian, who passed away uh, while still an infant. One inscription was found where the late sun was being held by Domitian in the image on the coin, and the child held the seven stars. We talked about the seven stars already, Brent. Seven stars meaning, what did it mean? Re- remind us. The uh, seven angels. Uh, you, could, you could say that in the Roman world, though. The seven stars were those seven stars that didn't move with the rest of the The zodiac. gods themselves, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So holding the seven stars is a way of saying, I can get you where you want to go. I think we looked at that in Revelation 1, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so uh, he, this, this child of Domitian and the coin is holding the seven stars in his hand. Could the, uh, the choice to worship Tyrimnos be a pointed reference to the, uh, the son of Domitian who died? They wanted to honor. It's, it's possible. One last point of interest about Thyatira is the presence of a Jewish prophetess that operated as a Sybil shrine. Uh, By the name of Sambate. Spell Sybil for me. Sybil. S y b i l. S y b i l. Sybil is like a uh, Sybil shrines were like minor league oracles, which we talked all the way back in the Book of Romans in our long episode about predestination. We started off that episode talking about. uh, oracles and how oracles operated. And we talked about how Rome had four main oracles, the oracle at Claros, at Didyma, at Delphi. And there's always somewhere else I can never remember. They had four of them. But if you didn't, if you couldn't, or, or your question wasn't as big of enough a uh, deal that you wanted to go all the way to a true oracle, you could always go to a Sybil, like a minor league oracle that you might have in your own town. That was episode 153. 153. So, so those civil shrines were like minor league oracles and dealt in pagan witchcraft. Um, and apparently, from what we can gather from the little information we have, Sumbate was a big proponent of the Roman labor system and the many guilds that not only powered the local labor force, but also, if you remember, would have been steeped, those same guilds would have been steeped in what kind of practices, Brent? Uh, pagan rituals. Pagan rituals. Pagan idolatry and sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, These yeah. same two things that keep haunting us throughout this entire study. So, and, and if you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, so she was a Jew, but she was dealing in witchcraft? If you're like trying to make that compute, you should be because it's not supposed to compute. That does not work according to the book of Leviticus. It is not right. And yet,
0: according to history, what's going on anyway. <laughs> It doesn't work is not, not maybe the... This- Strong enough language. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So let's go ahead and look at the letter to Thyatira. I'm going to have Brent read the letter to Thyatira, and we're going to keep our eyes peeled for culture, just culture. Of all the things we've talked about, watch in this letter for
0: culture. All right? Go ahead, Brent. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality, and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead." To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, so we
1: were listening for culture, and this is not going to be an exhaustive or comprehensive list, but we're definitely going to make our point here. Let's grab a few of these references. These are the words of the Son of God. This is the only reference to Son of God in all the letters to the seven churches. Like of all those seven letters, not once is a Son of God referenced except in this letter. Why here? Is it because of their worship centered on the Son of Zeus, the Son of God, and or the Son of Domitian? For any, any of those options, it's fitting that that reference would be found here, not in Ephesus, not in, Sarna, not, in not in Sardis, not in Smyrna, but it would be found here. Uh, how about the reference Feet like burnished bronze Their main export Coming out of Thyatira Calabanos. Uh How about your service And perseverance What does that make you think of Brent Your service and perseverance uh, They're hardworking Guild members Absolutely uh, Hard military town Blue collar uh, You tolerate that woman Jezebel Here we have an obvious reference To uh, that Sybil oracle Sambati um, And the shrine that she works at Uh, How about the next one? She misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. This points to that ever-present temptation, just like in Pergamum, to engage in guild feasts that would have been widely available to them in a city like Thyatira,
0: almost like no other. Sexual immorality listed first, food sacrificed to idols listed second this time.
1: Oh, very interesting. Yeah, and John, yeah, John could be doing that very much on
0: purpose. If he's not, I'm shocked.
1: (laughs) If there's one thing we've learned about, I've learned about John. Uh, Let's see here. I will cast her on a bed of suffering. The actual reference in the Greek is to the word kleine. We get the word recliner from that, kleine, which is the same word used to reference a guild couch. Those guild couches is where the sexual immorality would actually happen at the guild feast. So God says he's going to throw her on a kleine. You could read, I'm going to throw her on a guild couch of suffering. Uh, later, he says, I will strike her children dead. Um, this could be a possible reference to the dead child of Domitian. Uh, Satan's so-called deep secrets. What do you think of when I say that, Brent? Satan's so-called deep secrets. Is Good anybody, question. Is anybody digging out Satan's so-called... Anybody have special access to Satan's so-called deep secrets? Special access. Yeah. Well, I don't know. These, uh, these oracles were known to be channeling the god Apollo, mm. the god of the underworld... So if I were to say Satan's so-called deep secrets, you might think of okay, yeah, the, the, the oracle, and they're, they're getting secret from the underworld. Uh, Iron Scepter, uh, references to pottery. What do you think of when I think of that?
0: Well, just more guilds represented.
1: Yep, more guilds. The Potter's Guild, the Blacksmith's Guild, both of those guilds were on the guild list. Uh, I will also give that one the Morning Star would be the last one that I'm going to pull out here. And, uh, we finally have the, uh, the, the son of Domitian who held the stars in his hand. Every single line, and we did miss some references here, Brent, but I've done it uh, in my in my live lessons before, every line of this letter, every sentence of this letter to Thyatira comes directly from the immediate culture of the city. And remember, this is a city we don't even have a ton of archaeology done in. Like, we, there, there's not even a whole lot we even know about the city, and yet we know enough to know that every single line at least could be referencing culture. The letter is stunning in its clever cultural relevance but now we want to ask the question of what is the source for john's material like where is he getting his material and you think to yourself well from culture marty you just told me but we hinted at last episode not really a hint yeah we we (laughs) went we we explored it we dipped our toe now we want to fully immerse you all right here we go So now that we've appreciated the cultural backdrop for the letter of Thyatira, we're going to turn our attention to appreciate the way that John uses his command of Tanakh to continue a teaching well below the surface about the struggle of the church there in Thyatira. A little backstory in the text will be helpful, although it may feel unrelated when we first go over it. So let's talk about King Solomon, Brent. King Solomon, he was building the temple back in the uh, good old Old Testament, back in session two. We talked about Solomon building the temple in the story of Kings and Chronicles. One of the grave mistakes that he made was in not allowing the people of God to do the work on the temple itself. Unlike the construction of the tabernacle, led by Bezalel and Aholiab, Solomon outsourced the work of certain specialists, namely that of bronze smiths and stonecutters. So Solomon didn't use Hebrew bronze smiths. He didn't use Hebrew stone cutters. They probably weren't the best in the world, and Solomon wanted the best in the world, so he went and got them from other countries. Solomon made an arrangement with Huram, the king of Phoenicia, and in exchange for the labor of his best bronze smiths and stone cutters, Solomon gave him 20 towns in the Galilee as payment for their service. Many streams of Jewish teaching show it was this agreement that paved the way for Phoenician-Israelite relations that would eventually culminate in the treaties of Omri and Ahab, particularly the marriage of Ahab to the Phoenician high priestess of Asherah, a woman by the name of Jezebel. Now, if we need to remind ourselves of Phoenicia, we actually used Phoenicia as an example, Brent, in our Joshua podcast I think that was the first podcast of session two after the introduction. Yeah, that would be episode 34. 34. And I think it was titled The Hardest Story in the Bible for me. And and that was a hard podcast to listen to and to do because we unpacked all the pagan rituals and what the pagan nations were doing. Part of that was Asherah worship. Asherah worship was connected to the Baal worship. Um, the Baal worship was where the child sacrifice was happening. The Asherah worship is where you had to spend time with the shrine prostitutes and buy Asherah dolls. And it was all about your sexual mortality and fertility and, and all of these things. And, and Israel marries their king on purpose because of political concerns. They marry their king Ahab to the high priestess of Asherah worship. A woman by the name of dun, 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 Jezebel. Jezebel. Many rabbis will teach that uh, were it not for Solomon's poor choices with Huram, there would have never been rampant idolatry in Israel because it was Solomon and his choices that started the relationship that they're trying to maintain generations later. So many rabbis will say it's Solomon who introduced us to Phoenician idolatry. But I digress. Or do I? Let's go back and uh, look for text. So I'm going to have Brent read that letter one more time. But this time, I want us all to keep our ear open for Old Testament references as we read through the letter to Thyatira one
0: more time. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. Unless they repent of her ways, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, so let's talk about some
1: textual references here. Whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Coming right out of one of those apocalyptic books, Daniel chapter 10 provides the details that John references here. Uh, Daniel's main teaching point is that the people of God have to persevere. If you remember the story of Daniel, he's getting thrown into the fiery furnace. He is praying, even though they tell him not to, he's eating vegetables instead of the diet that the king wants. It's all, the, the story of Daniel is a story of perseverance, um, perseverance through persecution specifically. And yet that's what the people of Thyatira are going through. What does John say next? Your service and perseverance. A very fitting reference. Uh, obviously, the next reference is is about Jezebel, that woman Jezebel, who misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Horribly fitting reference, or wonderfully fitting, however you want to put it. Fitting reference to Sambate, John mentions another Jewish prophetess who enticed Israel into idolatry and sexual immorality. And if you remember, Asherah worship was centered around the fertility goddess and sexual promiscuity, So, Jezebel's a fitting reference here from the text. I will cast her on a bed of suffering. How was Jezebel killed in the Old Testament? By being cast out of a window. I will strike her children dead, John says. What happened to Jezebel's children? They were all struck dead. This entire teaching is pulled perfectly from the text. How about this reference? I am he that searches hearts and minds. There are a few options here. It could be a reference directly to Psalm 139.23, or it could be a word-for-word reference out of Jeremiah 17. I think it's a reference to Jeremiah, and I'll tell you more about that and why that is in a moment. How about one more reference? How about, I will rule them. Ah, I got more than one reference. How about, I will rule them with an iron scepter. We'll dash them to pieces like pottery. Usually your Bible even catch this and give you the direct reference to Psalm. Psalm 2. Psalm 2, okay. The only one that's actually pulled out in the footnotes. Absolutely. And most of your study Bibles will catch that reference. What they often don't catch is that Psalm 2 is written about the one who God says, you are my son. Wait, the son of God Psalm is being referenced in the only letter to mention son of God? This is almost too much. I hope this is starting to hit our listeners and it's starting to sink in and take root in our consciousness, what John is doing here. He's doing both simultaneously. He's doing culture and text simultaneously at the same time with the same words. (laughs) It's not like half of the sentence is about the text and half the sentence about culture. The same sentence is simultaneously pulled from text and speaking to culture perfectly. How about the morning star? A lot of people are going to think about Isaiah or Ezekiel and a bunch of incorrect mistranslations and wrong references. This idea is actually pulled directly from Numbers 24 and the last oracle of Balaam. Well, we've talked about Balaam now probably three or four times, Brent. What is Balaam going to be known for?
0: Well, how many things? I mean, it's known for a number of things. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) But what have we been chatting about with the Midrash in reference to Balaam and what he's responsible for when it came to the Israelites in the book of Numbers?
0: The I I actually am not familiar enough with the story of Balaam to know what part is in Numbers and what part comes from the midrash. So so if you can just remember the midrash, it says that Balaam's the one responsible for. Is it the midrash where he has them send in the the uh, prostitutes? Right.
1: So Numbers twenty four is the last oracle of Balaam. Numbers twenty five is Moab seduces Israel. And the Midrash the bridges Midrash the The Midrash is
0: where it says that he... He's accepted, the one that actually okay. Okay.
1: provokes Balak to do that, right? So, so, Balak, or excuse me, Balaam is a reference to sexual morality and idolatry. It, isn't idolatry and sexual morality the very issues that John is trying to warn us about directly in this letter? Over and over and over ah, again. So, these references are perfectly chosen. Daniel to communicate perseverance, and Balaam to communicate the struggle with sexual immorality and idolatry, but we still aren't done. The other references are going to work perfectly as well. The letter starts and ends with a direct reference to Psalm 2, a psalm we've seen before, but when we saw it before, it's been linked through a beautiful Gezerah Shavah to Psalm 118. And both those psalms end up being linked to Solomon. Psalm 2 is a psalm written about Solomon. David is writing the psalm saying, today I've called you my son. And who is David's son, Brent, in that psalm? We always think Jesus when we hear it. But when David wrote the psalm, what did David mean when he wrote, today you are my son? He's talking about Solomon. Talking about Solomon. Wasn't Solomon the guy we pointed out responsible for the whole mess surrounding Jezebel? (laughs) And that was the next reference in John's letter. Jezebel was the very next play that would lead into the searches, the hearts and minds reference. And I told you Jeremiah was my choice. Why Jeremiah? Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah starts out, Jeremiah 17, where the quote is pulled from, starts out with these words. Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool, inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. Even their children remember their altars and Asherah poles beside the spreading trees and on every high hill. Well, what was Jezebel connected to, Brent? The worship of? Of Asherah. Of Asherah. So we have Solomon first reference, linked to Jezebel, second reference, linked to Asherah poles, third reference. John quotes a Jeremiah passage that directly references the Asherah worship introduced by Jezebel, who was referenced earlier, which is a result of a bad relationship that began with Solomon, who was referenced in both ends of the letter. It's hard to communicate the complex brilliance John is displaying here in his writing of Revelation. I'm realizing now how hard this is to communicate via podcast, Brent Billings. This is... A stunning, not only is John brilliantly writing about the cultural setting on his day, he's using biblical quotations to do it. This would be impressive enough, but John is actually choosing his biblical quotations from stories that are already teaching to the cultural context at hand. It's almost impossible to believe what the book is doing before our eyes. Stunning. To quote one of my favorite teachers, it's almost like the author had help. (laughs)
0: Yes. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> truly incredible.
1: Most of this is lost on us as we look toward the future and we try to read Revelation. Um, we, We try to interpret the headlines of our newspapers through the words of Revelation. We're trying to place the happenings of our current world and our understanding of eschatology and rapture theology and we completely miss the message that objective historical study reveals to us right in front of our nose. We want to carry this lesson that we learned today in this episode. We need to carry this with us as we continue to study the book of Revelation on through the end of session four. Got a lot more work to do in Revelation. We do. And if you feel like you're kind of drowning that's okay we'll get lots of practice by the time we're done
0: yeah but hey if you're caught up and and you need to like go back and review the revelation episodes like read through these passages over and over again uh go back and look at daniel look at you know some of the other books that we referenced in these podcasts like do some study like this is going to take some work to to get this internalized yep absolutely and the culture part is where a, a ton of work takes place
1: Uh, Because it's hard to dig up all the culture and find those. But we gave you all those books to read. So, yes, go back, look at these passages, and ask yourself two questions. First, what's the culture? Look for culture, and then look for text. Look for culture, and then look for text. And you know, one of those Bible translations I've loved during this is that Orthodox Jewish Bible that you can find on almost any Bible app that I know of on your phone. Um, or BibleGateway.com or any of those, just pull up the Orthodox Jewish Bible. And I feel like it's really helpful in identifying all of the potential. I'm not going to say for sure. I'm going to say potential because I like it about half the time and I don't like it half the time. But it's a great way to just get your brain moving and your brain working on what could John be referencing here? What could he be doing by using text and putting text into context? Text to context.
0: That's the theme of Revelation. All right. That'll do it for this episode. We've got uh, three more churches and then uh, then a few more episodes on Revelation after that. So if you have any questions about the show, go to BaymodStopshop.com. You can get a hold of me or Marty there. And uh, thanks for joining us on the Baymod Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.